RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Like a thing that happens on a regular, predictable schedule. If that schedule is mostly Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. Pacific, it's Mission Log Live. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Yes, it is Mission Log Live, the show where you, our Star Trek pals, join us, your Star Trek pals, to talk about Star Trek. And tonight we've got a Trek insider to field your questions. In a few minutes, we'll meet Terry J. Erdman, author of many Star Trek behind-the-scenes books, like the Deep Space Nine Companion, Star Trek Action, which here's my action pose with Star Trek Action. Oh, that was and, so uh, much action. That was thank cool. you very much. Uh, the, uh, Star Trek 101 is another uh, of the book and a ton of other ones. So we'll talk to him about those, how he came to write them, what he took away from them, and what he left behind. Oh, Thank you. Thank well, you very much. You can join us, by the way, and ask your questions uh, by clicking on the Zoom meeting link. Or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or you can call us 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call 669-900-6833. Then you punch in the meeting code, then you talk to Earl, and then Earl gets you through to us. And then, uh, well, then it's a party. This is great, man. You, you brought uh, props. You brought visual aids. You're, you're like you're a step away from being a, a prop comedian like, uh, like, like Carrot Top. I was going to say I'm the Carrot Top. I'm the Gallagher of Star <laughs> Trek podcasts. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, hey, and, and you pointed out uh, because what's cool, the feed actually gets started a, a few minutes before we go live at seven. People are already in there already in the chat. So let's do what I like to do, which is to go in and say hi. There's uh, there's John Cooley, there's Steve, there's Murray, uh, there's Scott, there's Alan Perry, there's Peter. Uh, let's see, who am I missing? There's Daniel, uh, there's other Dave, there's Barry. Hey, it was just Barry's birthday yesterday. Uh, was it hope, really? Yeah, yeah. I hope you uh, said happy birthday. Which Barry? Uh, Barry Rice. Oh, was it really? Oh, yeah. happy birthday, Barry. I'm sorry I did not know that. If I had, I would have said something instead. Of, well, I mean, I said things, but nothing having to do with your Not birthday. Nothing to do with him, sure. Yeah. Uh, there's Scott Palm. Uh, there's Barbara. There's Carlos. Uh, just uh, all of our, our friends there to hang out and say hello on this fine Tuesday evening. So, hey, everybody. Uh, and remember, Terry Erdman coming up. So if you want to call in and chat about behind the scenes, he, he worked on so much more than I realized because I, I, we invited him on the show because I use here. I'm going to, I'm going to be the prop guy for a moment. Uh, I use the Deep Space Nine companion on a weekly basis as we prepare a mission log. And this has just become a, a treasure trove. You know why, Ken? It's because when we were doing TOS and TNG, I had all the, uh, the Roddenberry files here to pull from. But once mm-hmm. you get past 1991, not so many files. Uh, we have some, uh, but not as many. So uh, Terry's book is absolutely indispensable uh, for me. So if you want to join us and call in and say hi, you know what to do. Uh, click on that Zoom meeting link or use the phone, uh, just like Alexander Graham Bell did. Yeah, well, he made the phone. He, did, well, he used it, too. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of sad for him, though, right? Because he makes the phone. He's like, I'm going to call. Oh, there's nobody to call. Oh, no, yeah. it's so yeah. sad. Yeah. Call Watson, but that gets boring after it's like, a while. Like the gift of the Magi, but for technology. Yeah. <laughs> I love that joke. I love that joke. Mm. Hey, we do want to thank everybody. If you heard, by the way, John mentioning all those names, uh, those names are people who are watching us live. And we do want to thank everybody who's watching us live here on Facebook, or if you're catching the video over at YouTube, youtube.com slash Roddenberry Prod. That's fantastic. Of course, you might also be catching the audio only podcast later. However you're finding this show, we really do appreciate your doing so. Uh, we do have one favor to ask. If you would, please, wherever you're finding it, hit like, hit share. If it's a star rating, give us like, you know, nine maybe stars would not be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Basically, anything you can do to sort of boost our signal would be fantastic because then there are more people, you know, hanging out and playing with us and getting to ask guests questions and doing all kinds of stuff. So thanks for that. Oh, all of that is fun stuff. And um, hey, we have real world and virtual world fun stuff coming up as well. Now, a lot of people already know about Comic-Con coming up. Uh, we'll, we'll get some more announcements about that. Uh, but just very quickly in, uh, well, a, a week from Thursday, 
Yes. Uh, so yeah, a week from Thursday, we head down to San Diego. We'll have the Roddenberry Presents panel in room 24 ABC at 1.30 p.m. Right after that, come hang out for the Mission Log Libre hangout at Havana 1920 at 4 p.m. That's right there on uh, Fifth Avenue. Fifth Avenue or Fifth Street? I'm gonna, yeah, I believe it's Fifth Street. I'm okay, not, I'm going to say I'm Fifth, believe it's Fifth Street. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. you're right. Why don't you say Fifth? On Fifth. On yeah. Fifth. Just right out the front doors of the convention center. Then you have the Star Trek podcasters sound off. Is Utopian Trek passe? Oh, we'll come back to that in just a second. That is uh, the panel that Larry Nemechek has put together. That's at the Neil Morgan Auditorium at the San Diego Central Library, 4 p.m. on Saturday. That's just steps away from the convention center, so make sure you come hang out with us there. Then afterward, the Trekland meetup at Amplified Aleworks on Island Avenue at 5 p.m. And then, then we just have time to come home, uh, do laundry and leave and go to Vegas. And what's happening in Vegas, Ken? I might not even have time to do laundry, John. That's how Whoa. quick the turnaround is. I Whoa. know. I have to pack everything I own and leave it in the suitcase. Yeah. Uh, the landing party on Tuesday night, of course, for people who like buy one of the captain's passes, right? There's the preview thing that happens on Tuesday night. We'll be at the table for that for a little while, but we can't be there the whole night, the whole preview time, because we'll be at the landing party over at the Masquerade. That's on July 30th, Tuesday night, July 30th. There is a Roddenberry panel, which is going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, which we're going to be on. Yeah, I don't know, but there's going to be a Rodden, huh? Yeah. There's going to be a Roddenberry panel. Rod will definitely be there. Uh, there's going to be a mission log panel, which we're going to be on. Yeah. At least at least one of us. Yeah. Yes. And then there's an RPN panel. I'm honestly very excited about the RPN panel. Should we mm. tell people what we're doing for that or should we save it? Go ahead. Tell them. So uh, this whole thing about is uh, yeah, Star Trek um, uh, Utopia Passe. We're sort of assuming for this panel, no, it's not. But... The idea is we're here now. There's a 24th century, 23rd century, 24th century ideal that we're all kind of shooting for. Uh, the question is, how do we get there? Now, there were two ideas. Either we could all sit around like, you know, one person from each show from the Roddenberry Podcast Network and say, well, here's my thought on economics and here's my thought on, on religion. And here's what I, I think we could. So that was one idea, right? <laughs> the other idea was we're, we do shows. We all do shows. So everybody on the network, not every person, but every show on the network gets about five minutes. Pitch your idea for the 24th century. We're here. We're going there. How do we do it? What's the most important thing? And what's interesting is every show on the network has a very different personality, full of different personalities. So every show is going to have a different idea of the thing that's going to be most important to them. And so it's going to be like a bunch of little shows inside this one big panel and still there'll be time for questions and answers. So very excited about that panel. I don't think we know exactly when that's going to be yet, but, but yeah, if you're coming to STLV, please make sure you catch, uh, well, all the panels, the Roddenberry panel, the Mission Log panel, and the RPN panel as well. Yes. So that's, that's the real world stuff. And then uh, we're, oh. we're taking virtual reality to the virtual reality that is Las Vegas. Yes. So this is a really cool announcement. Um, and all of you who have listened to me and Ken talk, talk about our excitement around Sansar and the Roddenberry Nexus there, and maybe you haven't done anything about it yet. You don't have the VR goggles. And we keep telling you, you don't need those. You just need your desktop PC. Uh, log in to Sansar.com, create the free account there. Well, you're really going to want to do this now. During the week of STLV, we have talked to, oh, oh, certain Star Trek notables who will be there in VR during STLV. So sure, there will be the people at STLV who will go into a room and they'll see, say, like a, a Tim Ross on stage talking about his time on Voyager. Oh, but let's say you're not at STLV, but you're there with your Sansar account logged in. Tim Ross will be joining us in the Roddenberry Nexus. Oh, and it's not just Tim Ross. Jeffrey Combs, John Billingsley, Susie Plaxon, Ethan Phillips, Casey Biggs, possibly even more to come. We'll be announcing these specific times and dates for those later as we get closer to the convention. But those are the people who are lined up so far. So Sansar.com, get the free account. And even if you can't join us in Vegas, you can join us virtually with those special guests. And one other thing here to mention about Vegas. Now, we mentioned that we are... Uh, 
Roddenberry is selling off everything that was Roddenberry uh, merchandise. Uh, Roddenberry is no longer in the merchandise business. And uh, this is kind of a last hurrah to sell everything from inventory at Las Vegas. So the best way to find out about that, if you don't already follow at Roddenberry on Twitter and Facebook or at Roddenberry official on Instagram, do so. And here's why. During STLV, those handles will be announcing special sales. So they might say, hey, uh, in 20 minutes, come to the Roddenberry table, X amount off of uh, shirts or scripts or pins or whatever. So if you want to know, you'll be following that all week and then dash over to the table to get a good deal. So on those social media handles, that's where those announcements will be made for limited pricing on merchandise. Ken, you might say it's the ultimate inventory sale. The ultimate inventory sale. That's what I was waiting for. All right. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to say what you're about to say. Time to, uh, yeah. to hit the poll before we, uh, before we join our guest or have our guest join us and, you yes. know, have everybody else do that too. 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call, by the way. 669-900-6833 or use the one tap from your smartphone or uh, click on the thing in Facebook and talk to Earl and then Earl will just get you straight to us. It's, it's just that simple. Uh, the poll for last week, are you a normal Star Trek fan? See, I can't help thinking that some people didn't really understand the question. 69% say, yes, I'm a normal Star Trek fan. 31% said, no, 31. It's not quite 47, but you get the idea. Um, so yeah, that's last week's poll. And last week's poll is closed. This week's poll, uh, John, wow. I don't want yeah. to do the rest of the show now. I don't want to do the rest of this show. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, was, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, no, no. Hang on. Hang on. I think, honestly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, honestly, I transposed the numbers. Oh, thank I, I apologize. I apologize. So uh, let, me, that, let yeah. me, can I do this now? Because people are going to yeah, be like, what's his deal? You absolutely uh, can. Boom. I just fixed it for you in the document. Uh, John mentioned the fact that uh, the, the, uh, the panel that we're doing with Larry uh, the, the topic is, is utopian Star Trek passe? Uh, yes, say 11%, no, 89%. The reason I just freaked out is because John had those numbers reversed. And so, uh, yes, 89% say, yes, utopian Star Trek is passe. No. Um, yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. Because right now, only 11 of you say it's passe. And uh, I just want to hug you and let you know it's going to be okay. And uh, the, the people who say, no, it's not passe, that's 89%. And, uh, and we're actually using uh, the results from this poll. And comments associated with the poll might end up as part of our panel uh, with Larry in uh, SDCC in a couple of weeks. So, and there are really good comments on the uh, on the poll in Facebook. So go there, weigh in. It'll be up for a week. Is Utopian Star Trek passe? I love the comments because honestly, Ken, it's gotten me to think about the question in a different way. You know, how are we defining utopia? How are we defining utopian science fiction? And uh, and what are the pros and cons of that just even being a thing? So uh, I love reading the comments. Honestly. A lot of those might make their way into the panel uh, as we develop uh, what that will be like. So thank you for voting. Please like and share and uh, and spread the word. Ken, it's time we brought in our guest. He's been so patient. And uh, I can't wait to introduce Terry to everybody. I'm looking forward to it as well. Terry is a longtime uh, feature film publicist, worked on eh, a couple of art films you might have heard of, like Aliens, Cocoon, and Star Trek V. He's the author of multiple Star Trek books, including The Deep Space Nine Companion, which uh, which John mentioned earlier, Magic of Tribbles, Making of Trials and Tribulations, uh, Star Trek Action, which is right over there, Star Trek 101, which is right over there. And that's not even all the books he's done. Terry, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Good evening. Glad to be here. I can't quite start with you, yet I have to get my French dictionary to look up Passé wow. and my Greek dictionary to look up Olympi. So, oh, okay. Well, hey, you know, we we got time. You can, you know, you can do that, or you can just Google it while we're uh, while we're chatting. That'll, that'll okay, be I'll all right. Be back in a minute, then. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, before we get into the kind of the the nuts and bolts of your association with Star Trek and uh, and all of that good behind the scenes stuff that you mined for your books, and and as Ken mentioned, there are a lot of books. I've been focused on the DS Nine book, and, and you spent time with almost the entire production there. 
Um, I, I want to go back even prior to that. So you were a publicist with 20th Century Fox. Um, you worked on uh, publicity for a lot of big, uh, a lot of movies in general, but a lot of genre pictures. And you were telling me before we went on the air that uh, working on Buckaroo Banzai is what led you to meet your wife, Paula Block. And a lot of Star Trek fans know Paula's name as well uh, as the co-author of uh, a lot of the books that you've worked on. Can you just tell us really quickly what led you to Star Trek? What led you to Paula? Those worlds sort of dovetail. There's a story behind this. Yes. Um, I, um, I lucked into, I graduated from college and I went over to the Warner Brother lot, went through the personnel office, asked if I could take a typing test, got into their, passed the test, uh, got into their floating secretarial pool got picked up by a producer um, on the Warner Brother lot who was moving over to 20th Century Fox right away and took me with her. Um, and um, while I was there, I got to know all the people in the, in the marketing department and they needed some, they needed a, a junior publicist and they liked me and said they would train me and brought me in. And the first campaign that I got to work on was Return of the Jedi, actually Revenge of the Jedi at the time. Oh, yeah. And we changed the title, right? I mean, you know, I was sitting in the room when the title got changed. And um, the studio had a whole bunch of science fiction pictures coming up right after it. Uh, Aliens, The Fly, Edward Scissorhands, um, The Abyss, uh, and this thing called Buckaroo Banzai that nobody knew what to do with. So we had a long conversation and we wanted to do some kind of a giveaway button and we wanted to go out to these science fiction conventions that we'd heard of, but Fox had never been to them. And so they said, Hey, Terry, would you like to travel? And I said, sure. And suddenly I found myself at all these events, different city every weekend, slept in my own bed only on Wednesday nights. It, it, it was not a task. I absolutely loved it. And uh, one weekend, um, Memorial Day of 1985, I went to this event called Media Westkind in Lansing, Michigan. On the night of the banquet, I sat down at a table with a bunch of people, got in a conversation with this young woman that was sitting there. And uh, 35 years later, we're still having that conversation. So that's where I met Paula because of Buckaroo Banzai. That's awesome. I, I just I wanted you to tell that uh, partly because. Buckaroo Banzai is also sort of a recurring thing in Star Trek. They keep throwing in little references like Yo-Yo Dine and, and all these other, because there were so many people who were fans like Mike and Denise and Doug. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Oddly enough, um, while I was working for Fox, when Banzai was not quite failed, I mean, it was a, it was a, it, Let's use the word. It was a bomb. Um, <laughs> and it failed, but we, we did everything we could. So several of us, a couple of the secretaries and myself put together a fan club. And uh, one of the secretaries invited a friend over to um, help stuff envelopes, which we sent out to people who signed up for him. And uh, one of this, this, this friend's name was Denise Tathwell. And uh, after that, you know, after that, the demise of that fan club, she disappeared and I never heard from her ever again until like maybe four years later when all of a sudden she was Mrs. Michael Okuda. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's, a, it's nice. a small world there, you know? Yeah. But, um, the, uh, the Buckaroo Banza has never gone away. Everybody loves it. Every, the 30th anniversary is coming up in, or 35th anniversary, I think coming up in just a, a couple of weeks. Wow. And, uh, you still see people at conventions wearing those headbands that we made and gave away. And it's, it, it turned into a phenomenon. So, so the words Buckaroo Banzai are, you know, loom large in my legend. It's very strange because Buckaroo Banzai is a failure. And if Buckaroo Banzai had been a TV show, we might be talking about Buckaroo Banzai the way we talk about Star Trek. And then not because they were exactly the same thing, but people who love Buckaroo Banzai love Buckaroo Banzai. I'm not as familiar with it as I am a lot of other sort of, you know, weird off kilter things that I like, but it's, it's something that I really, I really got into. It's funny to hear you say that it's a, it was a failure because, well, it was no Howard the Duck. 
Yeah, it had it had some kind of it had some kind of staying power to it. Talk to me though about okay, so that's that's you and that's that's you meeting Paula. Uh, when do you meet Star Trek and how? Um, one of the senior publicists at twenty. Well, start a little earlier. Um, the head of marketing for Lucasfilm when we had Return of the Jedi, a fellow named Sidney Gannis, a year later or so went over and became president of, of Paramount Pictures. And he raided our marketing department and took a woman named Diana Whittem, a publicist, over there. And they looked at what they had coming up. Now, I had been promoting these other sci-fi shows for them. And uh, they looked and they said, oh, we got a Star Trek show coming up. We don't know much about it, but we have a star- a science fiction. We have trained a science fiction expert. <laughs> and uh, they called me up and said, in six months or so, we're going to have a Star Trek movie. We'd like you to be the unit publicist, which is the person that goes out on the on the set, is there all the time. And uh, I said, yes. And the luckiest phone call I ever got. And uh, six months later, I found myself on an airplane going to Yosemite with Bill Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, Harv Bennett, and others, and was on the set every minute of shooting Star Trek V, which, kind of like Buckaroo Banzai, <laughs> isn't everybody's favorite movie. <laughs> but um, but it's, my, it's one of mine because I have, I don't think about that finished film. I think about all the experiences of being out, you know, on that set all the time. Lived on the bridge of the Enterprise for about eight weeks. Yeah. So, can you help me out? Because I mean, you just said something that I'm not. I'm not a student of how, like you know, things work with the, with the studios and, and promotions and things like that. To hear that you spent the whole time on the set is kind of surprising to me. Well, but, every every movie has. If you read the credits at the end of a film, it says unit publicist. It means that it, it's a publicist that actually works for the studio but is assigned as a member of the filmmaking unit. Okay, so the cinematographer, the, the, you know, the, the wardrobe person, the hair makeup people, they're all of the filmmaking unit, the director, the actors, and one publicist. And there's somebody on, on almost every motion picture that's made. Um, there's probably, while I was busy doing that, I haven't done it for about 12 years now, but um, there's about maybe... 50 or 60 people in the world who have that job on all the motion pictures. So. Uh, 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call, 669-900-6833, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or you can uh, uh, hit the link in the Facebook page, and then use the promo codes there, the, not the promo codes, I'm sorry, use the, use the codes there, and you'll be talking to Earl, and Earl will put you on with us. Um, okay, so that's you then uh, getting to Star Trek for the first time. That's, I mean, there's a very different thing, it seems to me, from that to doing the Deep Space Nine companion. That's, I mean, that's a, that feels like a big leap because you're going from a publicist job to, I'm going to write the encyclopedia of this thing. How did that come about? And then talk to me about your involvement with the show. The key, the, the key job of the publicist while on the movie first of all you, you know you babysit the press you if, if the movie has an open set you can interview you can invite people from the new york times entertainment tonight all of that and babysit them while they're there work out times to have them interview the actors and all of that but the other thing is to interview everybody i interviewed the director who was bill you know all of the actors um, go sit down with them in the trailer and run a little tape recorder and run. And then afterwards, put together what is called the production notes. It's issued out as the press kit, um, probably 30 to 50 pages of material about the making of the movie. And they print it up. They print up a thousand copies and send it to every media outlet, television, magazines, newspapers in the world. And uh, so that's your job is to do that. Well, I wrote a really good press kit apparently because somebody from Paramount and I never even knew who it was talked to somebody at Disney and um, said that I wrote a good press kit. And I got a call from Disney saying, we hear that you're a good writer. Would you like to? And I ended up doing a whole bunch of unit publicist jobs for Disney and then uh, for Fox and for MGM and Carol Cohen, Orion and, the whole bunch of other studios on the on the um, 
on the basis of my writing ability. Now, where did I learn to write? I don't know. I, I graduated from high school, a little town in the middle of North Dakota, and I'm surprised I know how to read. But um, <laughs> then at one point, I guess it was in 1994, uh, Trek 5 came out in 88, so it was that many years later, um, a, a um, editor at Simon & Schuster... Paramount Pictures owned Simon & Schuster. So an mm -hmm. editor at Simon & Schuster decided to do a behind-the-scenes uh, Star Trek book, asked the studio who they knew that could write. They suggested me. He hired me, and there it was. Suddenly, I was writing the Deep Space Nine Companion. Well, it, this sounds like a pretty huge commitment, though. I mean, yeah. uh, DS9, so you, you came in, uh, what, around the second season? Yeah. yeah, the show, I was watching the show. The show was already yeah. on probably a half a dozen episodes into season two. Yeah. And, they, and so Simon Schuster hired me to just go do it. So I went over and I got hold, I got hold of the television marketing department and told them what it was, and uh, they said, well, well, we'll introduce you to the set, but don't talk to anybody. Don't you talk to anybody. And, and a, a publicist from the TV department took me over there, and we stood behind the plywood and peeked around the corner, and there were, you know, there were these actors that some of them I recognized. You know, I knew who Rene Bourgeois was, and, and I knew who Avery Brooks was from, from the Spencer TV show, and and then and then when when that publicist let, and did that two days in a row, it was hidden, peaked. <laughs> and uh, when uh, the third day they said, "Okay, can you do that by yourself?" But be really, really careful. And I said, "I sure can." Now I I just spent years out on the road, you know, hanging out with the actors. I did ton bunch of movies. So as soon as I was alone on the set, I just walked on the set and said, hey, everybody, I'm writing a book. And instantly, they were all my best friends. <laughs> it was it was amazing. Armin Shimmerman invites me to his trailer, and then our visitors got her armor on my shoulders. And it, it, I don't know why we were hiding behind the plywood. <laughs> they, they all want you to say nice things about them in oh, your I'm book. Sure Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> but but, uh, but uh, back to my kind of the, the original thing I was trying to figure out is that you come in during season two. Nobody knows it, but DS9 has got another five plus years to go. Right. And uh, so what is the assumption of, of how long your job is going to go there? I mean, are, are you there every day on set? Yeah, I, I, I probably put in 40 to 60 hours a week almost every you know every week they were shooting I, I i was on set for every episode except a few times i left i went out and did unit publisher job in the middle of season five or six whichever it was um i went to the east coast with ridley scott and to me more and was the unit publicist on gi jane with vigo mortensen and and uh for four and a half months. So I missed that much of that season. But we knew at the beginning that it was, if it was going to be a seven season show, which they hoped, then I'd have to continue writing. Um, and in fact, it did. It took, it took, I wrote for seven years. So in, from the time the show started and had to get caught up until the book was, I turned in my manuscript to the uh, publisher was an eight-year period. Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three is the phone number to call. Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three, or you can use the one top from your smartphone, or you can uh, use the links on the Facebook page. You talk to Earl, and then you get to talk to us. Uh, Terry Erdman is our guest tonight. I have questions. Actually, I feel bad because I sort of led us to the Deep Space Nine thing, but now I, I'm 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 getting stuck on Star Trek Five. So we may do that <laughs> when we come back in just a moment. But first, uh, John, uh, you got a little bit of business you want to take care of. I do have a little bit of business. Uh, folks, if you're in the chat right now, you can say hi to Scott Palm. And you've heard us talk about Scott Palm before. He is a friend of ours introduced to us by Chase Masterson. And uh, we hopefully all now know that Chase is a, a big part of the Pop Culture Hero Coalition. It is a not-for-profit organization that is dedicated to ending childhood bullying. So Scott is a part of that, and he has developed the heroic curriculum. Uh, that is heroic, and that is a curriculum with two goals. 
The first and most important part of that is reaching children with serious physical disabilities is designed to teach them important values like resilience and having a healthy identity and breaking barriers and other crucial mental health and life skills. Now, the other part of the curriculum is designed for the peers of those children with disabilities. It's there to help them learn important values like inclusion and ending marginalization and being an ally. Now, let's look ahead a few months. We started this fundraiser a couple of months ago as we look toward October. October is Bullying Prevention Month. Our goal is to raise money for Scott that will be matched by the Roddenberry Foundation so he can start implementing this program for a full six months. That means Scott on the road with an assistant going from school to school to reach children with this very important, I would say, crucial program. Now, it is great work, and it is not that easy to do. Scott has cerebral palsy, so there's a lot of effort involved. And like I said, he does have an assistant on the road to help him out. And all of this is why the Roddenberry Foundation, as I mentioned, is joining with you to help Scott help the world. So go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash missionlogpod. You can also go to twitter.com slash missionlogpod. Pin to the top of the page, and each place is a link for the fundraiser. Every dollar you give will be matched by the Roddenberry Foundation. You give a dollar, that becomes $2. You give $10, that becomes 20 You will be contributing to something that truly embraces the values of Star Trek and puts it into action. And like I said, the Roddenberry Foundation doubles your donation. <clears throat> Facebook.com slash MissionLogPod, Twitter.com slash MissionLogPod. Look for the post, make a donation. And even more important, if you can't make a donation, even that dollar or $5 donation, share the post. Encourage people, your friends, fellow Star Trek fans, to give what they can. We would all appreciate it, and it might even make the world a better place. And like I said, say hi to Scott. He just said in the chat room, I'm here. So there he is. That's the proof. You can say hi to Scott because he just said hi to you. And uh, wow. And uh, Karen, who uh, I've seen in our chat a lot, she says, my six-year-old son has cerebral palsy. Thanks for what you do, Scott. Thank you, Karen, for chiming in. Thank you, Scott, for always being here with us on the live show. And uh, folks, that's all you need to do. It's a simple click and you will be helping us to help him. 669-900-6833 is a phone number to call 669-900-6833 or you can use the one top from your smartphone or use the links in Facebook. All right. I, I, I know we're going to deep space nine and I know we should stay in deep space nine, but I'm going to double back really quickly to star Trek five. I saw star Trek five <laughs> when it came out. I believe I saw it opening night when it came out. I know I saw it opening weekend. I was not nearly as big a Trekkie or Trekker, and everybody else can have that fight if they want to. I was not nearly as big a, a Trek fan. I mean, I was, I was knee-deep in, in TNG at that point, but not so much TOS. So I came away from Star Trek V enjoying it. Now, years later, I was told how wrong I was for liking it, and I've come back around to actually loving that movie again. Um, and I really do. I'm curious, on the set... And if you need to keep being publicist for that movie, you know, you feel free and tell me it was all perfect. But on the set, what was the sense of how things were going? Um, a, a lot of the people, a lot of the filmmakers, you know, the, the, that crew whose names you see go by in the credits afterwards, um, weren't real excited about the script. Um, maybe the story part of the script, just, you know, going to seek out God is, an, is rather an odd thing. But um, Bill had wanted to, he had, he had been watching TV evangelists and he saw them using these sales pitch things that they do. You know, they, they really, it's, it's est and all of that worked into the way they, um, they talk on television and then they get you to send in your money. And, and he thought that would make a good villain. And they turned it into a story that didn't quite work. But on the, on the, on the set, the whole time we were shooting, setting that aside, everybody had a really good time. It was a wonderful, you know, family-like feeling. 
Bill Shatner cannot help himself. He, if, if there's a pun to be made, he makes it. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's the most serious moment in the middle of anything. I mean, if something pops into his head, boop, it comes and everybody's laughing. We had a wonderful time. But we always, we would go to dailies, you know, the, the, the footage that you shot yesterday, you watch today to make sure that you don't have to go reshoot some of it again. Mm-hmm. And, um, on the way to dailies every day, people would say, Ooh, I don't know, you know, director's decisions. And, and there was concern, but, um, but it was always fun and a good time and up and happy. Now I wasn't with the producers when they were talking to the studio executives. Um, I was only, you know, with, with the crew. Um, they might have had some real blast out conversations or arguments about whether to cut back the budget, whether they needed more money, all of that. But um, but we had a really good time. I, w- I will always say I, Star Trek V gave me one of the most emotional moments, I think, in a lot of the Star Trek movies. I mean, maybe not the most, although I get hung up on the weird things like like the most emotional moment for me is the one where. Uh, Captain Kirk says goodbye to Captain Sulu in Star Trek VI. That's like an amazing sort of graduation moment. But um, Shatner got a couple of really amazingly dramatic moments that still, when I think about him, kind of, kind of, kind of stirred things for me. Ken, I'm going to tell you, you're not alone. I'm, I'm looking at the chat here, and uh, a lot of people. First of all, Carlos says, Ken, Itik, you can like whatever the hell you like. So truth there. Um, but a lot of people's, uh, Chris Riker saying Star Trek five is watchable. That's a good thing. Yes. Some real gaffes and continuity and other issues, but still fun to watch. Scott Mays says the relationships in that movie make it awesome. He also says, I need my pain. Don't know if he's talking about the movie in particular. <laughs> That's my favorite line. My very favorite line in all of Star Trek. And I've seen every episode of and movie many, many times of, across the franchise. My favorite line. Is I need my pain. It really, I love that, that, that one. I that love that line. That's great. See, now other people are saying, "Excuse me, but uh, what does God need with the starship?" Yeah. I love that line. Yeah, you don't have opportunity to use it on a day to day basis. Right. So unlike I need my pain, which you can just look, you can just bust out at any time. <laughs> oh, oh, and uh, Carlos saying Star Trek Five is no nemesis. So, oh, that's true. Well, that's true. Now, that, oddly. I read an advanced script of Nemesis, like maybe eight months or so before they went into photography. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be brilliant. The script read really, really well. But then when you saw the movie, it dragged along. Wow. Wow. Uh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, Talk to us, and I, I love the Star Trek V talk, but I, I do want to talk about DS9 a little bit because th- this is just so strange and fascinating to me. You know, we got the deep dive book, uh, Stephen Whitfield's The Making of Star Trek. Right. He obviously collaborated with Gene, and that that's a, it's a really unique book because it came out at the time that the show was in production, and it was an insider look, but Gene is guiding it. And of course, he only had three years, and he comes in later in the process. You are you are an embedded journalist. You are entrenched with with the crew and the cast, right. Right. and you really became one of them. And you were there longer than other people who worked on the show. Right. So uh, that is a truly unique position to be in to create a book. And um, I, I can only imagine that by the time the whole thing winds up, the whole thing wraps up, it, it must have felt a big a loss, uh, as big a loss to you as it did to to the crew that's finishing up what they had worked on for six plus years. Yeah, it was it was not happy. The last the, the last thing that we shot was the last the uh, the breakup scene at the end of the last episode in Vic's bar when everybody says goodbye and. Um, as emotional as it was on the air, it was that emotional in reality. Nobody wanted to quit. And as, as they would say, uh, okay, that's, that's your last line. Let's say goodbye to Avery Brooks. And people didn't leave. They just went off instead of going straight off to the trailer and getting their makeup off. Mm-hmm. They went and stood on the side and continue watching the rest of the episode being shot. 
So by the end of the evening, when it was the last two people that were in front of the camera were Armin Shimmerman, you know, Quark and uh, James Darren as Vic Fontaine, it was just the two of them. They were playing a game of fish on, you know, at a table gambling. And um, it could have just been the camera crew, the lighting guy, the sound man and me and those two actors. There were 40 people standing around watching it. Nobody wanted to go. Now, for me, it kept going because I spent another year, well, actually Paula Block, because she did as much writing in this book as I did. But uh, we spent the next year finishing up this book. So for us, it wasn't over. But I really missed going to the set. And um, I'll never forget how emotional that last. I tried to put it in the last pages of the book about the last day on the set and make it as emotional as it was. So, you know, I encourage everybody, if you have your hands on that book, read the last two pages. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Got it. All right, I'll just, uh, I'll just kick back and uh, read that now. Yeah, yeah now's a good yeah, time. It's a, it's a perfect yeah. time. It's a perfect time. Yeah. Well, while you're doing that, John, I'll actually, uh, I'll welcome a caller on uh, really quickly. 669-900-6833. Use the thing from the thing or do the other thing if you want to. Uh, Lou is on the line with us. Good evening, Lou. Uh, good evening, Ken, wherever you are. I've lost the video feed. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I assume you're there somewhere. Uh, you know what I, we I, look I, like by now. I am right here. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I do. I've been trying to get a hold of you for like three weeks now. Uh, Earl, Earl suggested it would be uh, would be better if I just did audio because I'm uh, just completely naked in front of the computer. It's just the way that uh, things are on a Tuesday. <laughs> I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nobody should. Nobody no, no, should. No, no, uh, I want to say hi to Miss Evan below the waist. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's that. That's that's the key is, uh, as a performer. Yeah. Uh, so I've only got a bit of the audio feed. I'm I'm going to be winging it, but uh, I mean I've been doing improv for ten years, so this shouldn't be a problem. I wanted to thank you guys for uh, renewing my uh, not so much my interest in Star Trek, but certain certain aspects of it. I've developed a new appreciation for, uh, for DS nine because of mission log. So, uh, wow. I want to thank you for that. And I wish I knew more of what Sherman <laughs> was saying. I've got, I've, I've heard about 10 minutes of this conversation and I can't see or hear anything right now. Ah, hey, you know, that that's fine. Our, our show very often is best enjoyed when you can't see or hear anything. Here's so, here's the thing. Yeah, I'm going to be playing this back as a podcast in the next two days. And I'm going to say, oh, my God, he didn't know what was going on. And all this was going to make himself look just foolish. And I like I mean, I don't know. Are we allowed to call in again when the, the, the technical difficulties are? Are just uh, are, are just overwhelming today. Of course, you can call back sometime. Yes, yes. Here, here's the one thing I would say though: if there is a question that you have ever wanted to ask anyone about Deep Space Nine <laughs> behind mm-hmm. the scenes, no, seriously, yeah. this is an excellent chance to do it because if you miss this part, what we've been saying is that uh, that Terry is ba- basically was on set from about mm-hmm. halfway through season two almost all the way through the end with a four month break to go promote another movie. So, I mean, if you've got, if you've had like this burning question about anything and uh, now's your shot. Well, I wouldn't call it a burning question, but now that you've given me the, uh, the opportunity to formulate one, uh, um, how was the reception of uh, Canadian Nicole DeBoer? And I, f- I hope I can be forgiven if I'm accidentally mispronouncing her name when she replaced uh, Terry Farrell in season seven? Um, the reception, I, I, I guess the reception among the cast and crew was wonderful. They liked her right away. Um, Alan Craker mm-hmm. was the director of the last episode, of, of the episode that she came in, the first episode, oh, mm-hmm. the, the last episode of season six, when she appeared at the very end of it. And... Um, they told him that they were going to bring in the new Dax and that they had hired somebody and all that. And then they handed him a photograph of it and he said, oh, it's Nikki. He knew her. Oh, so it was, cool. it was very, it was because he was, he was actually from Winnipeg himself. 
originally. I don't know. <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay. So, um, I don't know what city she was. Small in. world. But uh, yeah, but so he he was real comfortable with her on her first day on the set, and that would have made her real comfortable with her new director her first day on the set. Um, nobody really does. Discussion about Terry Farrell leaving the show was never part of the conversation on the set. I mean, it might have been delicate for some people, and everybody was political mm-hmm. enough to not be bringing it up. So um, it all went <laughs> smoothly, as far as I could tell. And I was there all the time. Now, once again, I never mm-hmm. saw those conversations, you know, when they were alone in their living rooms or in the bar or when they were in their agent's office talking about, oh, they got rid of her. What do they get rid of? I don't know any of that. But on the set, it was real comfortable. And and Nicole fit right in right away. There was it was just it, it, it went very, very smoothly. For uh, for trivia fans, she was actually born right here in Toronto. I'm going to let you go. I want to thank Mr. Erdman for listening to me, and That's hopefully scary. the next time that I see you guys, I'll actually see you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, take care, Lou. I'm glad we got you in. And uh, look, next time, something to look forward to, all right? We'll see you soon. Thank you, John and Ken. I'll talk to you soon, I hope. Take care. Hey, it's funny, okay. Ken, you, you set that up so perfectly, and you said, you know, if you ever had a burning question about DS9, there's Chris Riker right in the chat saying, how do you play Dabo? Oh. And that that's really, this is the evergreen question for you. <laughs> that, that, that's true. Uh, although uh, in the episode that we're doing right now, uh, of course, uh, Dax half explains Tongo, which is kind of interesting. True. Yeah. 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 At least uh, strategically, she explains. Uh, otherwise, all we know is you stand around a table. There, there are sounds. There's a spinny thing, and every now and then you yell Dabo, or every now and then you go, "Oh." Yeah. Right. I'm, so, I'm pretty convinced the way you win Dabo is just by yelling Dabo better than anybody else. Yeah. Sure, I like that. I like that. That's yeah. That, that's <laughs> yeah, we did. We, um, Paula and I wrote. Uh, a, a number of novellas, and one of them is called um, uh, Lust Latinum Lost and Found. And um, we have a big Dabo game in it, but um, that's what we do. We have people yell Dabo. Uh, so if anybody <laughs> can create, if, if any fan out there actually creates a really cool game that uses a spinning wheel and, and cards and all of that, and come it's very likely that the, that the CBS licensing department might be interested in it, but it's, it's similar to, um, you know, three deck, uh, chess. You, nobody knows how to play these games. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to yeah. connect you with Dave Takechi. He He's uh, a friend of mine. He's in the chat and he's saying like, Oh yeah, it's roulette. And you got three wheels instead of one in the middle wheel. And, blah, and so he knows he's got to figure it out. So <laughs> that's, I mean, Dave, I see a, a licensing deal in your future. Uh, you can work all of that out. Uh, um, Terry, I, I want to ask. So, I am a big behind the scenes fan uh, of whatever I watch. I mean, I, I was five years old when the first Star Wars came out and I wanted the, the books and stuff that, that had how it was made and had the pictures on set. And that's always been a part of my movie enjoying and TV enjoying experience is how it's all put together. Um, you have had such a unique position in your association with Star Trek, and yet you say you've watched all of Star Trek and you certainly know a lot about Star Trek. Being that deep inside hasn't ruined it for you? No, 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 not at all. I love movies so much. When when I was a little kid, my mother got a job as a janitor in a local theater that we had in a little tiny town in the middle of North Dakota. It only It only ran Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. And we had movies that were probably five, ten years old that we were getting. And uh, so from the time I was five years old until about maybe 11, um, I got to run in and out of the theater on my own. I just, you know, I never bought a ticket. I got my own popcorn, all of that stuff. And so I saw, I mean, I'm, I'm older than anybody who's attached right here, I think. Um, I got to see like five times. The Day of the Earth Stood Still, Forbidden Planet, um, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, Cinderella with Gus and Jake going up inside the walls. I got to see all those movies, and I I was enamored of them. And I would go up into the projection booth and watch the reels going, you know, because in those days it was big reels of film. There's none of this cassette stuff. 
And, um, and, but with every movie that got shipped in by the Greyhound bus, there came a package that had these, these press notes and it had ads that could black and white drawings that could be given to the local newspaper to promote the movie and all of that stuff. And I spent a lot of time looking at those books and, um, I really loved them. And it turned out that, you know, 35 years later, I've written a hundred of them for the studios. So, I mean, the, the behind the scenes thing, it was kind of became my thing when I was a little kid. So it, it's all one to me. Sometimes when you look at a movie, if I, I spent every minute on the set of, of an, a bunch of films and, you know, um, Encino Man, the Pauly Shore movie, Encino Man. Ouch. Well, watching, <laughs> watching the movie is hard because, I mean, it, first of all, it's kind of fun, but I remember stuff that happened, you know, on the set, like Pauly laughing at his own jokes or, um, um, Brendan Fraser never coming out of character and always being the caveman, even at lunch and stuff, that stuff. And it just, it, it distracts from my being able to watch the story. And I wonder, I mean, there's people, they say that Martin Scorsese sees every single foot, inch of film ever shot by anybody. He watches everything. I don't know how he can enjoy it because you, you can see splices. You can see where the music doesn't quite fit, whatever. But, um, it, it doesn't distract from me really. I just love it all so much. And the, the behind the scenes and the final product are one and the same in my head. Very cool. You, you remind me a tiny bit of, um, I've, I've heard comedians say before that they don't, they don't laugh at comedy. The most you'll get out of a comedian is interesting. Yeah. That's about it. I mean, it's, it's yeah. sort of like watching it the same way. This thing that brings brings yeah. you know so much joy to so many. I, I I read I read incessantly. I've got novels or behind the scenes more more behind the scenes even than fiction. But uh, I find myself editing. You know, yeah, Sent- right. sentences that start with the, with there are people that do that. You know, get rid of there are and that start people and then there's your verb. I do that constantly while I'm reading. It's it's difficult. <laughs> sure. Hey, uh, we do have another caller standing by. Hang on just one second. Craig is going to be with us. But really quickly, I want to remind you about uh, uh, about uh, something else we would love for you to check out. And that's basically everything that we do on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Um, a growing network, by the way. Coming up pretty soon, there's going to be a show that you haven't heard us talk about, but we're going to be talking about it. So the place to keep up with what's going on is uh, podcast.roddenberry.com. You'll find information there about the latest Women at War, Priority One, The Trek Files, Mission Log, Mission Log Live. And, of course, you won't find the latest about the Daily Star Trek news there because Daily Star Trek news is daily. The latest has already happened by the time we turn around to update the website. But the place to go for all of those, uh, podcast.roddenberry.com. And seriously, keep your eyes peeled because there's something new coming soon. Yes. Hey, uh, Craig, thank you for being patient and waiting for us. Uh, but you are on with Mission Log Live. And uh, what's going on tonight? What's on your mind? Yes, good evening. Yeah, my first convention I attended was in uh, 1973. And I was at a convention when Terry Farrell told us first that uh, she was off the show. And man, it was really, really emotional, very sad. Wow. Um, what, what was the feeling in the audience? Yeah, was there, was there a gas? Oh. <laughs> it, yeah, it was shocked, and we're all lined up. We're go- going there to talk. She broke down, went down the line, and just met each one of us. She just had wow. to get out of there. She couldn't. She, and and uh, Michael Dorn had joined her up on the stage. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite emotional. Wow. Um, there's a there, there were a variety of aliens that were uh, on Deep Space Nine, which I love. You know, because it was it was like that. You didn't know who you were going to see, and. Uh, was did he know? Um, I'm asking a question. Of, was there any special stories about alien extras? You know that they would come in. They didn't say anything. They walked by. Uh, any stories on them? Well, well, Terry. First of all, uh, Terry is probably the only person that we have ever had on who has heard Morn speak. So uh, <laughs> that, I, I actually, that German copy of that of DC time. <laughs> um, yeah, um, Mark Allen Shepard, who played played Morin, um, I actually got to interview him 
So and, and he has vocal cords. <laughs> he told me he told me a story about how there was a casting session at Fairmount and he was living out in Ventura County, which is like 50 miles northwest of the city. And he didn't have a car and he wanted to be at this 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 casting, this reading. And so he rode a bus, found, rode another bus, rode another bus. It took him like like eight hours to get there. And the way he tells the story is hilarious and wonderful. If you ever see him at a convention, have him tell you about, you know, how we got the role. Um, but, um, yeah, he talks, but no, more never does. Well, so they, yeah, they, well, I did, yeah, I did get to meet him, um, as I worked with Richard Arnold. So yeah, I do know he does talk. <laughs> See, I, in my oh. head now, and, uh, I had built it up where Morn, if you were to speak, has this very, like, uh, educated, erudite, sort of English accent, like a Richard Dawkins. Like, he's sitting in the pilot. Well, you see, um, when I arrived here in my spaceship, I thought, yeah, that, that's in my head. That was born. <laughs> uh, so now, now this has been ruined for me. Um, uh, there's another alien <laughs> that you probably uh, know it very well. Friend of the show, fan of the show, uh, uh, Tracy Lee Coco. And she was there in many different alien guises on DS9. Um, never a speaking role there, and that not for uh, Lieutenant Jay either. But she was on set a lot. I, I don't know if uh, you remember her uh, hanging out, Terry. There are a bunch of different... I'm, I'm, see, I, I probably don't know what, even what she looks like because I would have always seen her in alien makeup. <laughs> Well, exactly. um, so if, one, if, if she was a Klingon one week and a Ferengi a different week and a, and a Romulan mm-hmm. another week, I wouldn't, you know, I don't know. Um, there were several people who didn't ever speak who were uh, Klingons who were always on the set in the background. One woman that I got to know pretty well. Um, but, you know, they're called ND background, which means non-dialogue, mm-hmm. which means even though mm-hmm. they're, they're probably an actor's equity, which is a a guild, not a union. Um, they don't have to be paid the big uh, um, Screen Actors Guild wages, which why which is the reason they can't get paid because it's not in the budget of the production. And if you if you paid all the people on the set, all those actors, when you got a crowd scene, if you, you paid everybody uh, Screen Actors Guild money, you wouldn't have any budget left over to do to do the visual effects, and it would end up looking like yeah. Five. Yeah, I, 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 I'm aware of that, and I've done independent films. Um, uh, by the way, a peace and long live mission log. Oh, wow. hey, have a thanks. great evening, gentlemen. Thank you, Craig. Hey, for that you can call back anytime. <laughs> oh, you got it. <laughs> I love love your show, and you you have. Uh, yeah, I just uh, got me going to the Star Trek convention first time in ten years. I'll see you there. Oh, yeah. Hey, come by because, uh, look, we're running out of time tonight, but I want to hear about this 1973 convention that you went to. That that absolutely fascinates oh, me. Oh, I, I got to meet – I was by the elevator, happenstance. D was right there, uh, DeForest Kelly. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I got to tell you about that. Okay. I, I can't wait. I can't wait. Thanks so much, Craig. May I tell you DeForest Kelly's story? Please. Please do. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, on Star Trek, we got what, two minutes? Um, yeah. On Star, Star Trek five, um, we were on a soundstage at Paramount. Um, D only worked about 11 days in the movie. I mean, he was older and, and his role was smaller, as you can see. And when we were climbing the mountains, it was an extra, not him off in the distance. I mean, a stand in. Um, but we were on the soundstage at Paramount and this is pre cell phones, 1988. So there was one telephone on the wall and all of the extras, all of the, everybody was lined up wanting to use that phone during the camera turnaround for lunch, <laughs> whatever it was. And I was standing in line. So DeForest Kelly comes up to me and he says, do you want to make a phone call? And I said, yeah, I, I want to co- just want to call the office on the other end of the lot. And he said, come with me. And he took me in his trailer. And he had a full-size Winnebago. I mean, a, a large full-size Winnebago. Some of the people were in little, you know, little teardrop things. And, and uh, he said, he used the phone and he said, anytime you want. He said, and I'm not going to be working for the next three or five weeks or whatever it was. And he went up to his driver up front who was in charge of keeping the trailer and everything clean and said, trailer belongs to Terry. It's his, except when I'm here. Uh, but he can have it anytime. And DeForest Kelly gave me his Winnebago. Man, what a guy. Holy a cow. Tremendously wonderful man. 
that that's the coolest thing that that that's the perfect story to uh to to end this interview because it doesn't get any better than that uh although of course we we spoke his name earlier so he's bound to show up larry dr track shows up says oh i didn't know you had terry on i would have come in much earlier to add to the festivities trek well guy that that's his uh that's the sign off so uh from larry to you terry terry thank you so much i hope i could do this again uh Blast having you on anytime. Thank you, really, everybody. Really quickly, I want to remind people if you if you want an idea of, uh, of of the kind of work that Terry has done, and you know maybe pick up a copy or two, uh, Amazon. I found a ton of stuff, including that's how I found about that and that and the other one. And you know, listen back to the beginning. <laughs> I've forgotten. Hey, I want to remind everybody that Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by Earl Green. Uh, be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log and Mission Log Live, but also Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, and daily Star Trek news. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, that'd be fantastic. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the place to do that. Thanks to everybody who joined us live or later, and we will talk to you next week. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network